Civil Sentinel Podcast. The Civil Sentinel Podcast is brought to you by Zavala1836.com. That's Z-A-V-A-L-A 1836.com. If you like all things tactical apparel and stickers, head on over, check it out. It supports the podcast. What is going on, gentlemen? Yo, yo, yo. Hello. Y'all doing tonight? Fantastic. Finished up uh, some dinner and hopped on here. Let me guess. Fish tacos? No, not tonight. That was like a, a running thing, though. It was like podcast nights just happened to be like fish taco nights. But uh, no, it was blackened uh, chicken sandwiches tonight. Ooh, nice. Oh, yeah. You really are a Caribbean boy, aren't you? I don't know, I guess. I've never been to the Caribbean. Yeah, you're close. You're close enough. Pretty close. I can build a raft. My wife made uh, taco soup when I got home. It was awesome. Taco soup? Taco soup, little uh, Tex-Mex action down here. You know, it's like a like a creamy broth, but you throw all the taco fixings in there and make it into a soup and taco soup. Ah, they do that in like a crock pot. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, I've seen that. I just never done it. I like tortillas too much. <laughs> that does sound pretty good. I feel like that's kind of like the the Russian way of cooking. You just grab whatever you have in the fridge and throw it in a bowl, cook some soup, and somehow it turns out delicious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the good old classic Russian stew. Guess oh, yeah. Gotta have potatoes and onions in there, too, right? No matter what else. Always. Always. Oh, yeah. I love pota- potatoes. Potatoes? Potato, potatoes? Potatoes and molasses. There you go. Done here in uh, in the south, we do like our uh, like our jambalaya or our gumbo. Oh, dude, gumbo is so good. Love some gumbo, man. Best gumbo I ever had was in New Orleans. That makes sense. Okay, so welcome yeah. to another episode of the Civil Sentinel podcast. Um, I think I think we already I don't know if we already said it, but we've got uh, Vlad from Terminal Armament uh, tonight. Um, how's it going, Vlad? Uh, what are you up to? How's everything going over there uh, in your neck of the woods? Going pretty good, staying busy, a lot of things to do, lots of, yeah, <laughs> lots of things to get done, orders to ship, all that, all that good stuff. But yeah, no, still, still doing really good. Got outside recently, which is always fun. Always good to kind of like refresh everything, refresh your mind and your body, suffer a little bit in the woods. Oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. I, I got to do it, dude. You get that nice like reset being out in nature and. Um, yeah, Absolutely just listening to the like the wind in the trees and, and the birds and everything and it's it's really soothing i just did that the other day with my first like field hf deployment and uh bushwhacked my way way out into the into the freaking wilderness and was really slow going i was doing like a 90 minute mile that's like just how thick the the terrain was yeah i feel that <laughs> I think uh, yeah, yeah, I think that was about our speed for for when we were going. It was all it was all snow. You had plenty of gear and pack issues, which is you know it's always good to go outside and figure out what works and what doesn't. Y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah, I can that... hear you now. That was weird. Everything froze up. Okay. Um, well, you cut out, and uh, I took over. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Wait, wait. Is is he real? Is this just a AI replacement that the FCC sent in his place to psyop the people? You know, it might be. We, we can't I talk we'll about never that know. here. But have my, you my, my programming have you says that we can't talk about that here. <laughs> have you used uh, ChatGPT, Civil? Negative. Um, well, I mean, I know okay. what it is. No, I hear I people you... talking about it, but no, I haven't. Okay, I think it's safe. I think I think yeah. ChatGPT is just the um, the government um, basically profiling your your psyche and your personality to program into your federal government clone that will come and take over your position <laughs> after they. There you go. <laughs> so if you don't use ChatGPT, it's going to be much harder for them to to make that that profile that they can uh, load in your clone. Right. Well, you know, everyone's talking about the the government making a a metaverse and a simulation to put us all in so that, you know, they can have control over us. But like, why don't we just make a simulation for the government with a lot of sims for them to control? And then the government can live in their little simulation or we can just be out out here free in in the real world where there's trees and stuff. You know, sometimes I think Y2K happened. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that what Y2K was? Is like everyone was going to be like uploaded into a simulation and the like the, the the changeover of the millennium i haven't heard that theory before but may, maybe i know i think that was part of like the y2k thing i'm not sure maybe it was something else i, th- that was I mean i was theories. i was i was born just after that so you know who knows maybe i was born in the simulation holy crap just dated himself <laughs> and i feel old That's yeah i feel like, I, f- I feel like i'm younger than a lot of people would uh would often think it's kind of interesting Jeez. Yeah, you're you're younger than uh, definitely younger than I thought you were. Um, damn it, I'm old. Yeah, I'm I'm 22, going to be 23 here in a little bit. Man, I am. Damn. I'm 38. He's still a kid. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, got men never grow up. Our our toys just get louder and more expensive. Absolutely. You know, I'm convinced we uh, age to about the age 19, 20. And then our bodies just keep going, but our emotional state of being just kind of stays the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe some. I've definitely developed and changed a lot over the last like six years. A lot of development and change, a lot of views and everything that have changed as uh, as opposed to what I used to think about the state of the nation and, and all that kind of stuff. So, in a way, yeah, it's kind of true. But also, you know, people people do change. People do. People yeah, do. I think having having a family and a wife and kids definitely definitely does something to you, even if you don't necessarily recognize it immediately. One hundred and ten percent. You know, uh, what's his name? Jordan Peterson said, "You don't really grow up until you have kids. Doesn't matter how old you are." I think I can. Uh, yeah. I think I can uh, say that that is accurate. I would agree. So, Tito, gotta have some kids, man. <laughs> Get married, bro. What did I miss when we blacked out? Did Did y'all do the introduction? Yeah, I kind of took over for the intro for you and introduced uh, Vlad and everything. So uh, it's kind of funny. You just you just went black like after two or three words. Civil Sentinel podcast. That's how we do. <laughs> <laughs> we are in a simulation. We're just replaying. It. There we go. That's the secret. <laughs> well, Vlad, Vlad, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What are you up to? Uh, how'd you get into comms? How long you been in the comms? What got you into comms? Uh, all that good stuff. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, my name is Vlad, obviously. Uh, twenty, Yeah, 22 years old. Been into 
Yeah, I guess the comms specific side of things for, I don't know, I'd say maybe about three, three and a half-ish years. They're the kind of inspiration to start the business and just, every, you know, everything that I've gotten into. I've always been, at, le- at least even from my early teen years, been into the tech world, so to speak, in a variety of aspects. I think I first got into it, oh, let's see, I was maybe about 12 or 13, kind of started listening to some electronic music and was curious as to how it was made. So I got got into music production pretty heavily for a little bit. Somehow that led into me getting into programming, then information security. And that was kind of like my development along the tech side of things. Then, I don't know, five-ish years ago, I got a job at a manufacturing company and also had a, a couple of friends that were also into the like tactical gun space at the time. And that was really my introduction into, you know, the tactical world. I was, my parents were never really against guns, but it was just not something we really, we really did. Uh, you know, none of my parents hunted or anything like that. I didn't really grow up around guns. So it was definitely something new to me, but it was something that I feel like I have, I've always had a strong, not, not just a belief, but a, um, kind of in, Nate desire and pull towards the idea of personal and individual freedom to, you know, really kind of a, I'd say a bit of a different level than other people had around me when I was, when I was growing up. And it really seemed like that was the culmination of it. And so I, you know, as, as life moved on, a funny story ended up getting uh, fired from that job. But then like shortly after that, I was, kind of thinking, okay, what can I do? You know, is there something, you know, what else can I do for work? Is there something that I would like to do? And I think that was kind of when I had the realization that, you know, still being kind of, so to speak, young in the tactical space, not really knowing a lot about what was going on, but still interested in it. And also coming from the tech world and also the, you know, hacker and information security space and individual freedom in that aspect and that side of things, I saw that like, hey, maybe there's a potential overlap between, you know, kind of the tech side of things and the firearm side of things. I guess you could almost say digital freedom and physical freedom, right? And maybe I couldn't even necessarily articulate that at the time, but I think that was really the driving force to get into that. And then, yeah, basically decided to start a company. I had done a little bit of information security consulting in my free time shortly before then, but then decided like, hey, I'll just go ahead and start maybe manufacturing some stuff. And yeah, I think that was approximately two years ago. And yeah, I had a little bit of knowledge as far as radio go, radio stuff went as in that and then started the company and got into it more and more as I realized the the importance of being able to build out your own infrastructure, you know, not just for the sake of tactical stuff and in sort of tactical scenarios, but really for the purposes of individual freedoms, right? All the way from really the, the, the tactical niche all the way up to a broader, almost like worldwide perspective that people need to have the ability of freedom of speech. And that really does come from a decentralization of infrastructure. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my backstory. Good stuff, man. Yeah. You know, you've uh, put this out there in, the Instagram world quite a bit, but you're a very big advocate for the First Amendment in the radio space, uh, as you put it. And 
you know, that's kind of a fresh perspective to think about it. Uh, I think you've definitely done a good job of encouraging a lot of people out there to think of things that way. And whether they are aware that that is a way to think about it or not, you've done a good job of kind of steering people that direction. So kudos to you. We appreciate it. Thanks, man. Glad to see uh, you're doing well and Terminal Armaments taking off and uh, you got some cool products out there. Yeah, yeah. Trying, definitely trying to push the push the space and push the niche forward a little bit. It's it's definitely one of those things that's kind of a niche within a niche within a niche, so to speak. But I mean, obviously, people are people are interested in it. You know, I of course part of that is just from trying to do media and content well and put out things that are interesting. But you know, no matter no matter how good your marketing is, if if people aren't inter- interested in something, you're not going to get any sort of traction. So I think it's really good to see, you know, that that people are interested in this stuff and to even even a deeper level than just, you know, oh having you know, basic radio comms with um, you know, with a team of dudes or even kind of like the broader the broader spectrum of communications for maybe disaster and emergency preparedness, which is kind of how I feel people generally get funneled into this space a little bit. Um, you know, and it, and it it definitely kind of goes from general preparedness and thinking like, oh, you know, maybe maybe I want to be able to talk to people without relying on other stuff, all the way to definitely some of the more niche stuff that we're doing as far as signals intelligence and electronic warfare, trying to push the push the boundaries on the open source side of that. So it's cool seeing people follow that, follow that progression and, you know, take, take the path as, as it's interested to them. Yeah, for sure. Something I've noticed people, I think want to be into comms, you know, they see stuff that's being put out on Instagram, uh, YouTube. uh, So they're getting a good, you know, visual demonstration of it. And, and they're like, Oh, that's cool. That's different. That's, not your average everyday uh, communication device in in our world now. It's cell phones, but you know it's kind of pushed people's creativity outside of the box a little bit. And uh, I think they see it, and they see what you're doing, what some of the other guys on Instagram are doing, and uh, they're kind of drawn to it. And it's kind of opening the door of curiosity, leading them to want to explore it a little bit. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I really like um what you've been doing with terminal armament and, and everything. I bought some of my first radio equipment I bought from, uh, uh, you know, terminal armaments website, uh, Oh, year and a half ago now or so. I still have, have the two RTL SDRs that I bought from you and I still use them regularly. And nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I still have, uh, I, I bought one of your, um, like was it your advanced SDR kits? I think it was, which came with like the mag mount and the folding yagi and all that stuff. The mag mount is yeah. on, the, on the roof of my truck. It's been there for for months. <laughs> nice, <laughs> dude. And and I'm pretty surprised about how like uh, how well that mag mount has actually held up in Florida with all the the storms and the, and the salt water and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm um, no, doing really good on that front. But um, not really like the like mission statement and the terminal armament and like you were talking about as far as uh, like individual liberties and stuff. And a lot of people don't. Or I think a lot of people might take it for granted, or they, they, you know, they think that their, you know, that their individual liberties should, should um, reach into the digital realm, uh, whether that's you know online or, or um, you know, two-way radio communications, like your your right to you know freedom of speech and privacy and all that kind of stuff. 
I do believe extends into that that realm of of our lifestyles that have that have taken place over the last several decades. And uh, a lot of people just don't realize how restricted your rights really are inside a digital realm, whether it's big tech or or big brother. Um, and, and there's so much going on behind the scenes to to kind of control the narrative and the speech and everything that gets uh, propagated through the system. Yeah, it's you know kind of kind of the the, the parallel also between the the first amendment and the second amendment you know a lot of one of the arguments that a lot of people like to make for the second amendment is well if if the first amendment applies to modern technology right then why wouldn't the second amendment apply to modern technology and modern armament and stuff like that and i, I there is definitely a reason that the first amendment does come first right and the the freedom of speech the freedom of expression to be able to say what you want and have public discourse and have a voice, I think is extremely important, but also it's, it's a very interesting conversation in the modern age where we have these large tech companies and, you know, the, the question of, okay, is, is a private corporation allowed to do whatever it wants when it gets to the size that it has, you know, actually become basically a, a public square, so to speak, you know, that's kind of one of the arguments as far as Twitter goes and some of the stuff that's been happening around that recently, you know, versus, okay, I'm a, I'm a private corporation. Am I allowed to just basically censor anything that, that happens on my platform? And that's, that's kind of one of the reasons why I think, you know, there's been a, there's been a lot of pushes for decentralized, you know, kind of web three kind of stuff. But I really don't think, kind of one of my fundamental leases, I, I genuinely don't think that we can really have decentral, not just decentralized communication, but like true freedom of information on the internet without like a fully decentralized, basically, stack, you know, networking stack, right? All the way down from the hardware level, all the way up, you know, if you look at your, like your OSI model. And so, yeah, I, I think as as technology progresses and as um, things continue to change for you know for humanity for society, right? It's like okay, what you know, what are what are we going to change about the the things the things we believe about freedom and the the rights that individuals have, and also how does that scale? Which is I think another interesting question, right? How does all of that stuff scale? from an individual all the way up to something like, you know, a giant corporation or a government, right? So it's, it's, it's an interesting world that we live in, in terms of all of that stuff. Right. And where are the boundaries of our freedoms? You know, the freedom of speech, uh, right to bear arms, those regulations are, are meant to curb the government from being able to, you know, restrict its citizens. A lot of companies out there, you know, news companies, uh, media companies, you know, we, we won't name any names, but they'll say, well, this is a private company. I can do what I want, right? Well, well, can you? Should you? You know, so mm -hmm. that kind of implies that there's a boundary there. Like, did, did those freedoms really stop um, when it comes to private enterprise? Should they really stop when it comes to private enterprise? You know, that's a very sticky gray area to get into, but nonetheless, it's something that needs to be questioned and considered and asked and discussed and and you know i i think that 
if we agree that, you know, these certain things are inalienable human rights, you know, not just American rights, not just, you know, rights given by a certain piece of paper, which is, once again, that's another interesting conversation because, you know, is, is the constitution your, your foundational belief as far as human rights go, or is there something deeper? Anyways, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the, that entire debacle, but right. If, if we have things like, let's say, okay, we believe that people are allowed to express themselves freely and people are allowed to defend themselves and we believe that they are fundamental human rights, right? Those shouldn't be able to be taken away by anyone in any place, right? And so, you know, even, even in the standpoint of, okay, let's, let's say there's a private business and this private business owns this property and let's say they don't people to carry handguns on their property, right? Where's the line between, okay, this is their property and they get to make the decisions versus they are infringing on inalienable human rights. Um, and they, and you basically have to have your rights infringed on to be able to go onto their property. And this, you know, this stuff goes very deep. And of course, this is, you know, philosophical and societal questions that have been asked for as long as humanity has been around. But as, as we move forward in the quote unquote digital age, it's, I think, an interesting thing to, to discuss. And I think an important thing to discuss as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah, definitely. We could do a three hour podcast on all that. Like, <laughs> like, like just yeah. saying we could, we could really get into the weeds of that right there. But I think, I think we, I think we hit that pretty good at a fairly surface level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can make this a philosophical podcast if you'd like, but. Oh boy, let's go. <laughs> we sure can. <laughs> so let's uh, uh let's shift gears a little bit. So you're you're pretty big on uh SIGINT and you're a big proponent of uh using SDR tools, RTL SDR. Uh, you've got a lot of posts out there. A lot of people kind of look to you on the social media space for uh some guidance and reference on it. Uh how did you get into SDR? You know, that's, that's a really interesting question because I honestly don't exactly remember. I, I know that I had an RTL SDR laying around somewhere. And when I started getting into radios a bit more, like in the, in the tactical space, like shortly before I, I ended up starting the company, I, I realized that like I had an RTL SDR laying around. I had ended up buying from somewhere. It was actually one of the, uh, like cheap Amazon clones. And I, I don't, legitimately, I don't even remember where I got it from, when I bought it, you know, how, how it even ended up in position, uh, possession, but I had it laying around. I know I had messed around with it a little bit previously, but I think that was kind of the, the point where I had started messing around with it a little bit more. And then obviously, you know, once I started getting into communications a bit more, I, I kind of started realizing like, hey, this stuff really can be used for a variety of of tools and tasks other than just, you know, listening into basic AM, FM radio traffic, but a variety of other stuff in communications, you know, both SIGINT and frequency planning and emissions control, all that kind of stuff. And the, the amount of power and the amount of functionality that you could squeeze out of this tiny 30 little, you know, little $30 dongle was incredible. And so that's, you know, that, that's kind of how I, how I ended up getting into, um, software defined radio and a, a bunch of research. But yeah, I, th I think also with a lot of the stuff that I post, it's, it's definitely, um, what's the word? Like 
you know, chronologically kind of writing down my experiences and my interest and my, my path as far as software-defined radio goes and my experimentation as well, right? Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Let, let's reel it in a little bit for the audience. Uh, let's define what a software-defined radio is and what SIGINT is and some of the uses uh, that a civilian can use SIGINT for. Uh, talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So basically a, a software defined radio, um, right. Almost, almost kind of like a dumb moment, but it's, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's a radio that's, that who that's, fu- which it's radio and the function of the radio is defined by software, right? Kind of, it kind of seems like oh, almost a no brainer, but you know, to, to dive into that a little bit more, when you talk about your traditional, you know, let's say handheld radios, whether that be some sort of digital radio or whether that be an analog radio or even if it's something as complicated as your wi-fi router right a lot of those radios are what we would kind of call hardware defined so the radio is actually baked into the hardware it'll have a certain type of modulation that it can do so it will basically you know modulate the rf signal a certain way and you know with some more of the more complicated harder defined radio rf chips They'll have a few different ways that they can modulate it, but generally speaking, the radio is going to be locked into certain functions. You know, maybe it can just do AM and FM. Maybe it can do some basic types of digital modulation, but you really can't do anything more than that. With a software-defined radio, the functionality of the radio is basically, right, defined by software, both on a receiving standpoint and also on a transmitting standpoint. And basically how that works without diving into the weeds super deep is that the radio will basically pick up a large chunk of the frequency spectrum. So for instance, with the RTLSDR, its stable bandwidth is 2.5 megahertz. So it can, it can quote unquote see 2.5 megahertz of the frequency spectrum at a time. And basically it takes that information and then it pumps it into your computer. And then your computer does all of the processing on that basically raw baseband information. So you can either do demodulation, right? You can do basic AM and FM, and of course, going up to even more complica- uh, complicated demodulation schemes, you know, doing digital stuff. So yeah, if that kind of makes sense, that's that's the basics of a software-defined radio. You're, you're trading off simplicity and size for more um, for more power, basically more processing power, but obviously you need to have some sort of external method of processing all that information from a radio like a computer or a phone or some SDRs will have that integrated into the hardware. Good answer. So what, um, again, for the audience, what sort of functions, what sort of tasks would you use an SDR for? Um, There's a variety. And I think like the, the best way, specifically if you're, if you're really curious about, okay, what can I really do with this is, of course, kind of start off with a, you know, trying to get a fundamental understanding of how radios work, you know, how they transmit, how they receive, and then build upon that. And once you kind of have that foundational information, you can, you can really start to, you know, see a variety of areas that an SDR might be able to help you with, right? And so if you have that foundational knowledge, you can kind of see, okay, I can basically see at, you know, the, the lowest level possible, 2.5 megahertz of the frequency spectrum at a time, right? So it's like, okay, what can I do with this? Obviously, the, the most basic stuff is I can listen to a 
variety of radio signals, right? So that can be maybe AM, that can maybe be FM radio. So like your local radio station, you know, 104, 97, you know, Jack FM, whatever. And listen to things like that. Then, then you can think, okay, what, what kind of information is out there, right? Cause if you're talking about it just from a receiving standpoint, that's really the main purpose of a receive only SDR, you know, similar to the RTL SDR, right? There's constantly information that's flying around us in the electromagnetic spectrum. Okay, what information can I pick up out of this? And then what can I do from that in, um, with that information, right? And so, you know, if you get into something that's a little bit more advanced, maybe you're starting to listen to a, uh, like amateur radio conversations that are happening a little bit higher up on the spectrum in VHF or UHF, right? You're starting to listen into repeaters. And I also, I think that's one of the reasons why SDRs are not just a great tool, but also a great learning tool because they can help you visualize the spectrum. If you don't really know a lot about radios, um, at least for me, it kind of can help visualize and see, ah, this frequency is popping up here. And then, you know, this other frequency is kind of popping up here on the spectrum and get, um, you know, maybe a, a broader view of kind of what's happening in that 2.5 megahertz or whatever check of the frequency spectrum. And then at that point, you can start getting into more advanced stuff. Like if you're listening into um, digital radio. So for instance, if you go higher up on the frequency spectrum into the public safety space and you start messing around with tools like SDR trunk and see, ah, okay, there's a bunch of public safety radios that are, you know, constantly transmitting around me. Maybe if you're in, in an area where the public safety systems aren't encrypted or most of their stuff isn't encrypted, you can actually just listen in and hear what's going on. You can hear if there's different events. You can hear, you know, people getting pulled over and names and license plates and stuff. And, you know, sometimes some of that stuff can be a, just a little bit of noise. But there's definitely times where that can be useful if, you know, perhaps there's a disaster scenario or there's something specific that you're listening into or trying to get information on. Of course, if that information is encrypted, if, for instance, like the police department system is encrypted, you might not be able to get as much information out. But if you dive into the weeds a little more, you can start actually categorizing stuff as far as, you know, radio IDs go and talk groups go. And usually, even on encrypted systems, there will always be some sort of unencrypted traffic that ends up slipping out. And then also metadata. there's a variety of other public safety systems. Say it again. Metadata. Well, and not not just not just metadata, but even just unencrypted voice, you know, simply because of the the logistics of specifically on large scale systems, passing out keys to all of the radios. Um, and this is something that we can maybe get into a little bit more. You know, be some of the security vulnerabilities or potential issues with P25. But right from a public safety standpoint, the biggest priority isn't necessarily security. It's getting a message through, right? And so if someone's radios, you know, let's say do, uh, doesn't have the keys loaded or something like that, or just one person's radio on the, on the squad before something happens, right? Doesn't have the keys loaded. Okay. Well, now everyone has to go unencrypted to be able to actually have communication, you know, in between different members of the team. And of course, there's also a variety of other not like police department, but public safety information that you can gather as well. Cause a lot of just city works and public safety works, you know, snow plows, fire departments, EMS might not be using encryption on their systems. Then if you want to get a little bit more complicated, right, that's kind of all of the, 
all of the data that you can squeeze out of an individual signal, right? You have the, the raw electromagnetic information just going into your radio. And, you know, there, there's obviously only so much that you can get out of that signal. Then you can start getting into potentially direction finding and radio location stuff, right? Which, okay, you know, maybe I can, the system's encrypted. I can only get a radio ID out of it. Okay, but the signal has to be transmitting from somewhere. Maybe I can set up a couple of SDRs in a few locations or even start out with something as basic as manual direction finding with, you know, a, a directional antenna like a Yagi and just sweeping around and seeing if you can get an angle of bearing, you know, or an angle of arrival towards the signal. Say, ah, okay, I have one line. I can move over here a little bit and I can get, you know, another reading and ah, I can try to triangulate the source of the signal. And of course, from that, you can get into more and more complicated direction finding and radio location methods, but it's really surprising the amount of information that you can just pull out of the, the air, something as simple as an RTL SDR dongle. And, you know, I, th I think that really is kind of, if you're looking at it from a signals intelligence perspective, that really is the fundamental, you know, mindset that you need to have is like, how, what is the information that I can get out of it, right? And like, how much information can I squeeze out of this one signal? And, you know, obviously you get stuff from the signal listening into it, but then you can also do time correlation. Okay, is, is this radio active only at, you know, this, uh, this part of day on this chunk of the frequency spectrum? You know, you can maybe use tools like RTL power to get a wide view of the frequency spectrum and see like, ah, okay, there's activity here at this time. And there's activity here at that time. Maybe I can do some baseline readings. And if something else interesting is going on in my area of operations, I can spin up RTL power again and see, ah, look, there's, there's some new activity here that is, you know, not normal, or at least not, uh, not conducive to the baseline readings that I got earlier. Um, that's one of the things that I, that we also want to experiment a little bit more with as far as software for, you know, our, our product, the, the SDR stick is using two tuners to find things like crossband repeaters and using RTL power at two different frequencies and, you know, scanning maybe VHF and UHF at the same time. And then you can see, oh, this frequency pops up here on VHF and, you know, simultaneously pops up here on UHF as well. And that would be something that would be very difficult to see even with a, well, not e not just very difficult, but even if you had a wider band SDR like the HackRF, you know, you might be able to see 20 megahertz of the spectrum at the same time, but even that won't be able to cover both VHF and UHF. So yeah, to kind of wrap that up, I think the biggest thing with SIGINT, you, you know, your perspective should be how much information gather signal or the series of signals, and then figuring out ways to filter that information into stuff that's actually useful and actionable for you or your team. Yeah, man. All good stuff. You know, when I, uh, when I first started playing around with the SDR, I, my first one was an RTL SDR and, uh, I didn't really know much about them. Uh, a buddy told me about them. So I bought one cause they're cheap and plugged it in. And one of the first things I noticed is like, Oh, you can see the radio spectrum. It gives you a visual reference of it. And it's like, Oh wow. Now I can see like, Hey, there's some activity over here. I'm going to go zero in on that and listen. No, there's some activity over there. I'm going to go zero in on that and listen. I thought that was one of the coolest, simplest ways to explore the radio spectrum. To your point, it, it, the more you know about radio spectrum, 
the more you can go explore uh, and just kind of, you know, work your way through the band and play around. But what's, what's cool about that is whether you're aware of it or not, everything is wireless now. You know, our cell phones have Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, uh, four different cellular band antennas inside. Every house has Wi-Fi coming out of it. Most appliances, you know, refrigerators, uh, washing machines, uh, ranges, stuff like that is now has wireless built in. All your cars, OnStar and Bluetooth, and there's radio waves floating around us everywhere, coming from everything. Yeah. <laughs> One of the coolest things about SDR is you can go hone in on those things. It, it get, it's a tool that makes it a little bit easier to find it. I, I, that's one of the things I love about it. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of fun just plugging it in and going exploring and seeing what I could find. Very valuable, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really cool. cool. And I, I concur with like uh, what Vlad was saying, too. Um, when I picked up my uh, RTL SDRs, started messing with them and, uh, you know, even just using them for, you know, on programs like SDR Sharp or SDR Plus Plus, just. Uh, doing normal FM or AM, like demodulation, everything from uh, air traffic control is really fun. Going down into the into the air bands and searching around for air to ground signals, ground to air signals, like like air traffic control and everything, and listening to that. Also, like Vlad was saying, using it to uh, programs like SDR Trunk, like with one RTL SDR and SDR Trunk, I can monitor, uh, I can live monitor like maybe sixty percent of the public safety that. It's in clear, uh, whether it's digital or analog around me. And uh, and it just, you know, traffic pops up. It's, it goes to that channel that's, uh, that's you know, playing traffic. I can hear it, like I said, whether it's DMR, or P25, or, or select analog uh, FM. And uh, it, it is, it's a great resource, even just using it for that. And then getting into other things, other signal intelligence, like you were saying, even if stuff is encrypted, um, being able to, uh, you know, look for patterns and generate... Um, you know, ideas of uh, the size of, of a force, where the traffic is through, like you said, like a direction finding, whether it's manual or uh, something a little bit more automatic, like a like a Kraken SDR setup, which uh, you've been posting about recently. And those, those things are freaking awesome. I want to get my hands on one of those. Yeah, me too, man. Are they still trying to get rid of those? I know there was an effort there for a minute that they're trying to you know, take the source code off the internet and make them banned from um, import yeah i haven't really heard anything about uh, them being banned from import the as far as the code goes that was for the passive radar code which there's there's actually plenty of github uh, repositories that have flown that so you can still get um get that code if you if you really want it it's just not on the official repository anymore but yeah so the as far as the passive radar code that was um something having to do with Basically, ITAR regulations. I've talked to Carl. That's uh, he's the main guy behind RTLSDR and the Kraken RF project. And yeah, so they're they're kind of dealing with uh, with a lot of the legal stuff behind that right now. As yeah, as, and as far as the units go, I don't know if they're. I believe you can still get them on crowd supply. They were in stock um, on the website. Let me check real quick. I think you you can definitely still pre-order them on crowds. But yeah, on the website they're currently um, they're unfortunately out of stock, so you would have to wait a little bit. But yeah, it's it's a really neat piece of kit. I've we started messing around with them a little bit. I definitely want to 
do a little bit more with them. One of the things that I was trying to set up for a while is a actually a distributed direction finding system to where you would actually have basically three Kraken SDR stations and use them actually like in a radio location system to where they would talk to each other. They'd all have GPS coordinates and data downlinks between them to where you could actually pinpoint a radio signal instantly, right? And not just uh, have a basic angle. I didn't have to drive around and stuff. But yeah, they've done some fantastic work with that, not just with the hardware, but with the software side as well. As, As with basically anything open source, it's still a little bit finicky, but specifically with the Android app, which I haven't had a ton of time to mess around with, but just with the little bit that I've experienced and seen, you know, an open source, uh, you know, an open source software like that and, and all the stuff that they've done with that. It's really, it's really impressive what they've done with the hardware and the software. And I think it's a cool step forward for, you know, obviously they're kind of gearing it towards more of the, you know, amateur radio hobbyist side, but for civilian preparedness and that stuff just getting easier and easier to buy, acquire, set up, and use. Bouncing back to the SIGINT thing uh, real quick, I recently learned that my uh, local police department, I I found a weird signal. It was a digital DMR uh, signal, and my local police department where I'm at is is running a a DMR system with uh, high Terra radios. And I was scanning around. I was using uh, SDR plus plus with um with uh, dsd plus which is a digital demodulation software um that kind of run you, you you pipe the audio you know information the digital audio information from uh your sdr program to dsd plus and, it, and it'll demodulate digital stuff and i found uh these this traffic and i honed in on it and started just letting it run and demodulate and it was uh, it was purple as data information, and this data information that was being transmitted was GPS coordinates associated with unit IDs. So as I'm scanning, I'm using my phone, and I'm typing in these GPS coordinates uh, as they're coming in, and I'm like, and I'm hitting search, and it's just a bunch of points scattered all over town. So then I started focusing on when, like, the GPS coordinates for one unit number was coming in, just like, like and they were changing. So I punch them in. And okay, well, this thing's moving. Well, at one point, I found out that one of them was transmitting from uh, the GPS coordinates was from a church just down the road from me. So I hopped in my truck with the SDR and everything going on the laptop, and I plugged it into the Mag Mountain Ten on the roof. And I drove around, and it turns out that my local PD's uh, GPS information for their squad cars is being transmitted in the clear. Because when I went to the church, there's just a squad car sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> that that is amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, <laughs> right. Yeah. They, the, the amount of information that you can get uh, yeah, out of, out of those public safety systems is pretty, pretty incredible and pretty interesting. Um, there was, yeah, the, there, there was that one white paper that kind of, I don't remember when it was really released. It was several years ago, but that was talking about a few of the, vulnerabilities of p25 it was mainly talking about you know trunk systems but all of the you know all the information that those systems put out and i'm kind of really curious you know going forward specifically as signals intelligence and all this stuff becomes simpler and easier you know will that um, basically force a shift with a lot of public safety systems 
as you know, at some point, it's inevitable that bad actors will start exploiting this stuff with how easy it is. You know, we've already seen that in some larger, more more organized criminal organizations, right? But you know, I think at some point, it's inevitable that there will be certain events that will basically force um, basically any organization like that that uses uses those systems to at the very least, take their security procedures, you know, and their emissions control and their comsec stuff a lot more seriously than a lot of them do at the moment. Yeah, I think you're referring to the the Matt Blaze article from University of Pennsylvania, I think. Is that what it is? I I believe so. I I don't exactly remember. I think I have it. I think I have it bookmarked here somewhere. I can try to pull it up. But yeah, I, I do believe that that is the one, and I think he also either him or one of the um, one of the people on his team also did a talk at DefCon, uh, which is a hacking and information security conference that happens every year in Las Vegas. I think a few years ago he did a talk um, at DefCon about some of the things that he had found with that, which is really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. That's, that's exactly what it is. It's the it's the Matt Blaze and his team, and I I think it was through the University of Pennsylvania that they. Uh, did a lot of the work and the research through. I, I could be wrong on that part, but um, yeah, they they went into it. They basically deep dived like P twenty five protocol and and the vulnerabilities and stuff. And it, and it was pretty crazy the things that they uh, were able to find out. Um, one of the biggest things they found out is that the the wink the the weakest link in the whole system is the end user. Uh, was basically one of like the big conclusions from the study is. Um, people didn't know how to use their radios like the the professional like quote-unquote professionals in the field whether they're federal agents or law enforcement uh, even secret service uh they were not using their their equipment properly in the field at all um uh for for their you know what should be like secure or, or secure like uh you know two-way communications um and they even used a at one point, they were able to, they used like a kid's toy and modified the f- firmware or something for this like kid's toy. It was, they, they make it sound like it was pretty simple what they did, but then they, they modified basically what was this toy radio for kids and uh, were able to use it to ping um, P25 radios for their, uh, uh, for their positional uh, or like, you know, their information and basically what would be a very vulnerable RDF uh, vulnerability, you know, like a, Pinging the radios so that way a, a actor could actively DF uh, a radio without the end user actually pressing the PTT and creating his own uh, traffic or signal. Yeah, I watched that. Uh, yeah, and and it's go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I got to. I watched that seminar uh, probably about two months ago, and and it was really cool what they were able to figure out. Uh, some of the toys that were on the market in the early two thousands that had some of those chipsets in them, those TI chipsets. It's like, wow, that's, that was just floating out there as a toy. That's, that's kind of wild to think yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, that, that one specific toy, if, if I remember correctly, is, has actually been used by a lot of people for a variety of projects like that. I think uh, one of the first uses, uh, Sammy Kamkar, used that as a basically a garage door brute forcer. And uh, a lot of a lot of garages, w- garage doors would basically use, um, you know, just kind of like a, a one-time code. And an, an advantage to that is basically if you sent it like 
a, a string of bytes, it would just take like, you know, I don't know what it is, maybe like the, the first eight or 16 bits of that string. If that code didn't work, it would just shift over once. So ba- basically it made it extremely efficient to be able to like brute force any, you know, simple garage door in less than 12 seconds with this little kid's toy that I think at the time it was super cheap. Of course, after that talk, it was like they were selling for like a hundred, 200 bucks on, on eBay. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Just like what happened to the, uh, yeah, F. Johnson fifty one hundreds. I wonder, I wonder who's, who's responsible for that. Um, I wonder. But yeah, that's, that's, you know, even that is like super interesting because, uh, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, we talk about SDRs and stuff, but even as far as just basic conventional scanning, um, of course you can set up a seven, 800 megahertz radio to do, um, you know, not, not associate scanning to where it doesn't associate with the network, but I've got a lot of 7800 EFJs. I haven't updated their firmware to be able to do NAS and I just have conventional scanning running on them at the moment. And even with that, I remember there was one time where I was able to listen and I think I was up in the mountains and I just had the radio kind of running over the morning and I was able to listen to basically like, I think it was a sting operation where they were waiting for this one individual outside of his home. And they had uh, some patrol cars um, farther down on a couple of the roads. And they were watching like the front and back door of his house, you know, open in the clear with what I think I had gotten for, it was like less than 10 bucks per radio uh, for the 7800 radios. And it's like, you know, to think that those capabilities are out there. And of course, they're definitely a lot less well known. Um, but as stuff becomes, you know, more and more well known, like what if that guy had, you know, either, either a seven, 800 radio, or he had an SDR, you know, even going up into the realm of paying for a standalone scanner, like the Uniden, Unidyne scanners, um, you know, the, the capabilities are out there and it's only a matter of time before people start exploiting them more and basically, you know, forcing people to reconsider and, you know, reevaluate their, um, their security. And as, as you were saying, and as that talk was saying, the weakest link usually is the individual. Does it ever make you wonder how much our community online, these posts, uh, more people getting into this is changing the public safety aspect of communications is I'm, I'm willing to bet that there's people watching these posts and seeing what we're up to and seeing it catching on. And, you know, rethinking their security on the public safety level on the LMR side um, and beyond, you know? Um, I, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I'm personally, I'm not too connected with like the, the public safety and the land mobile radio commercial side. Um, I know Anarcha Bacon is a little bit more, he might be able to answer that question a little bit better. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think eventually if it, if it hasn't happened already, it definitely is, inevitable that people will start in that space. We'll start seeing more of the stuff that we're, um, we're doing and start taking it a little bit, a little bit more seriously. But, you know, even in, even in that sense, even if you can perfectly demonstrate a vulnerability, you know, in the lab or even, you know, even in the field under a testing scenario, it's, it's really, really difficult to get, you know, people and institutions to seriously change. Uh, and this is an unfortunate fact, unless, some incident that's you know often very closely re- related to them happens. Um, there's there's kind of a, a a bit of a phrase, right? The 
um, the, the best way to get your company on board with fire insurance is to burn down the building across the street, right? And, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of along the lines of preventative maintenance, right? No one really wants to spend money on security because it seems like it's just money that's going into a hole until something happens. But I think, I think generally speaking, the, you know, the, the culture is trending a little bit more, you know, even in those commercial spaces towards having a bit, having a bit more security, which is a good thing. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good thing. I bet if I told some of the local PD officers that I can use a $30 USB stick and a $30 antenna on the roof of my truck and free software on my laptop to uh, collect all of the GPS information being transmitted from their squad cars back to dispatch, uh, they probably wouldn't be too stoked on that. <laughs> yeah, and I, man, that that's also, you know, this, this kind of goes a little bit more into the the conversation of community building, right, and getting to know your local people, but, you know, specifically in a, in a maybe in a small town, I, I think that that's something that would be worthwhile doing specifically, you know, if you've built up a, you know, a relationship with your local police department, you know, if you've kind of seen that okay, you know, these, these people are genuinely, you know, maybe trying to do what's, what's best for the community and stuff. Um, and then going up to them and, and having that conversation. And it's, it's really interesting how, how people will interpret that stuff. You know, there, there's a variety of, there's a variety of responses that you can get, you know, all the way from, you know, people being really receptive and being like, yeah, you know, how, how can we get you on board? How can, you help us out, improve our systems and improve our security, you know, to people being like, ah, what are you talking about? This is unrealistic, you know, to even if you present it in the most, you know, kind of like helpful way possible, people will just for some reason instantly think like, oh, you're, you're a bad actor and you want to, you want to exploit this stuff. Right. Um, but I, I think that generally speaking, that's, that's a better way to go about it for like all of the parties, involved you know or at least at least make the effort to do that um if at some point someone uses you know uses those tools and uses those capabilities in in a negative sense and then eventually you know people will find out the hard way yeah that's a very good point yeah that seems to be when humanity actually changes is after an incident which is unfortunate but then again you know like you can't really get an accurate accurate measurement of how many crimes were stopped or how many risks were mitigated. Uh, you know, you don't know because it never happened and that's just, it's unmeasurable, you know? So it's a very good point, but I'd like to think that I say, I'd like to think, I, I definitely suspect that, you know, uh, government, Big Brother, uh, the tech world—they they see stuff that's coming out that civilians are getting into in the tech space, and either a they're learning from it, or b they're being concerned by it, and they're going to take steps to you know create a buffer or a security protocol or or something of the like, which in turn you know will change the technology scape and eventually make its way back to the civilian world and cause further evolution. It's, you know, it's a self self perpetuating yeah. problem, just like anything else. You know, I um, I got a, I got a question, or maybe a couple questions. I think it's uh, I kind of want to bounce back to to the SDR 
stick project here and uh and talk about that a little bit, bit more um we talked about it um a little bit um kind of like your idea behind it but how has the development been going uh now that it looks like you got the first batch of them out the door is that right yeah most most of the first batch there's a couple more orders that i'm going to be sending out like um well finishing up assembly later tonight and then shipping out like uh tomorrow and then maybe a, a couple more wednesday because there was <laughs> there's was, was one component that was um that we were missing just a couple of so i had to order them really quick and so but yeah the, the first batch is basically almost all shipped out other than a couple of those and then the second batch uh scheduled to be shipped out around early may like maybe first uh second week of may so yeah that's that's kind of the the big update as far as the shipping and getting everything out the doors going awesome that's pretty sweet yeah man uh what was that civil i was just saying yeah man i'm uh i'm excited to get my hands on one yeah i know i didn't get in on the on the first batch of pre-orders and i i really should have so i'm waiting for the for the next pre-order to to open up so <laughs> i can get in on that one i was wondering i hadn't seen a lot of information on it maybe i've I missed it uh but um those things look like they're pretty rugged and i think that was a, a big thing for you uh, in the design of the, the sdr stick project and everything was um making sure that 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 product could hold up to use in the field um whether it be like on kit or or um what is it capable of taking what um like uh what kind of abuse water rating could you uh would you say the thing is uh capable of um definitely haven't like put it you know it definitely doesn't have like any kind of official ip rating uh absolutely water resistant you know it's got it's got gaskets on the on the end caps and stuff wouldn't recommend submerging it in water (laughs) um you know both both um but yeah no we i've taken it out plenty of times in snow and rain and there's also a, a video I think I'd posted on the story a little while ago where we had done some submersion tests just under a few inches of water. And so, yeah, water water resistant more than anything that you need out in the field unless you're going to be diving with it, which I wouldn't recommend to begin with. Um, okay. And yeah, obviously extruded aluminum, extruded aluminum enclosure, which is ruggedized uh, MJF end caps, the, and then SMA connectors, and then a water um waterproof i think it's an ip67 connector that we use for the usb cable that's awesome no those things look solid and i can't wait to get my hands on yeah that that was definitely one of the you know one of the big design considerations the the main the main kind of philosophy behind it is you know we've been been selling the rtlsdr for a little while doing doing a bunch of stuff on it and it's kind of become you know the the ubiquitous kind of starter sdr for you know for a good reason everyone has one it's really cheap it can do a lot of stuff and so the mindset behind that was okay how can we take the rtl sdr and basically fix a couple of the issues with it and make it better for you know the quote-unquote tactical sigint field use role and scenario right and so the the first one of course was ruggedness you know we'd been selling the the RTLSDR molly mount for a little while. And that definitely helped a little bit with ruggedness and kind of helped you mount it onto your kit wherever you wanted. But it was still, um, still wouldn't uh, recommend it getting into rain or anything. The RTLSDR dongle by itself is not waterproof or resistant by, you know, any stretch of the imagination. And the original USB connector, obviously USB isn't meant to be any kind of 
ruggedized connector standard. So that was one of the first things uh, that we wanted to kind of deal with as that goes. The second thing that we want to improve on is the actual hardware limitations. And, you know, going from just like a scanning around with a normal handheld radio to an RTLSDR, it's definitely a big jump as far as what you can see in the frequency spectrum. But definitely compared to a lot of higher end SERs, you know, the, the 2.5 megahertz of the RTLSDR can definitely be a limiting factor sometimes. And so how we wanted to improve the hardware is basically by adding a second RTLSDR, you can actually do, you know, a lot of those parallel functions. And it's one of those things that it's really a system that's more than the, the sum of its parts, right? If you're really trying to get 20 megahertz of bandwidth, right? You're, you're probably better off getting something like a HackRF than you are stacking, you know, and RTLSDRs together, you know, in a USB hub. And obviously, <laughs> you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be phase coherent or anything. But being able to have two independent tuners can actually help in a lot of scenarios and can actually do things that you can't do with something like a HackRF, whether that be listening into two different chunks of the frequency spectrum at the same time or even doing two separate processing tasks, you know, such as one of them being able to do a wideband scan and the other one being able to actually tune in and actively demodulate any of the signals that um, are popping up. And that's one of the things that we've worked on as far as software development. And that's kind of that kind of brings me to the third point and the third issue with um, the RTLSDR that and which is one of the the goals with it and still trying to get a, get around to that and get that rolling is the software behind it right and of course with a software defined radio you're you know you're only going to be as capable as you know as the software you have right and there's a variety of software that has come out for for desktop that can do a variety of things but there's definitely a bit of uh there's definitely a bit of a lack in software specifically on the Android side. And we haven't, we haven't started any kind of software development on the Android side, but that is still definitely something that we want to do. And that was something that was kind of like the third reason behind that is to get some money to fund software development to be able to um, improve both certain software that we want to see and develop ourselves and also be able to um, potentially donate some money to open source projects for instance, like SDR++, that's a fantastic project, you know, to be able to further help um, the proliferation of software-defined radios and their ease of use, not just in the tactical market, but also just you know people getting into radios in general and just being able to use software-defined radios easier and specifically with Android devices. That's awesome. I, uh, I've done a little bit of all of it. I They've definitely defaulted to the Windows devices. Um, I've got an Android phone that I can run. Uh, what's it? RF RF analyzer on. And I mean, for what it is, it's not a bad program. Being able to, you know, actively view uh, the the radio spectrum, uh, even if it won't, you know, demodulate like digital stuff or anything like that. But you can still use it to scan around and monitor uh, four signals, whether you can demodulate them or not, or you know, uh, analog track whether that's AM or, or FM or, or something of the like. Um, everything from, like I said earlier, like air traffic control to any of your analog public safety that's uh, possibly still out there. There is still a lot of it. There's analog UHF um, around me that's public safety. 
And yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I, I defaulted to Windows, though. I got a FCM1 toughpad and uh, running Windows 10 on that. And that's kind of what I've defaulted to as I can. I, it's a fairly small footprint and will still allow me to demodulate um, some digital stuff and uh, obviously uh, higher processing power and everything like that. Yeah, as, as far as as far as platforms go, there's definitely a variety of stuff. I've definitely defaulted to Linux just because that's what that's what I use as my daily driver. Basically, everywhere I hardly ever use Windows, except for you know in some niche scenarios like in a VM to program stuff. And you know, obviously, one of the reasons is because that's what I use. But also, I would like to you know push more people towards towards Linux and towards open source software and open source operating systems on on that area as well. So it's kind of a, you know, a, a little bit of a, you know, subliminal nudge in that direction to maybe get people to try to mess around with Linux. And I think also, you know, even if you don't get to the point of using Linux as a daily driver, I think as a communicator, as, you know, someone who's into technology in that in that area, I think it's an important tool to, you know, at least at, at, at the very basic level, be able to know how to use and know how to use some of the some of the software that is on Linux and available there. I love Linux. I was pretty intimidated yeah, uh, by it. At Ubuntu, really the first kernel that I ever messed around with. And once I got into it, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually really not that bad. And then learning a few terminal commands also wasn't that bad. There's cheat sheets out there and tons of tutorials. And uh, you know, it's one of the great things about the open source community is there is just a plethora of information that's, and, and a whole bunch of people in the community behind that information that are like quick and interested in helping out. And I love that about it. So I, I would love to see more uh, SDR tools become available for Linux. And maybe this is my ignorance speaking, but um, you know, I, I used early on, I used Dragon OS with my RTL SDR and I found it to be a little bit limited. I couldn't do what I wanted to do with it. Um, you know, there's as far as I'm aware, there's nothing like DSD Plus on Dragon, unless I'm mistaken, unless you know something else out there. So yeah, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Dra Dragon OS is like the SDR specific, like Linux distro. Yeah, it's like a comms workshop. Okay. It's uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't personally messed around with it. I'll use like usually for like for my desktop, I'm just running Ubuntu twenty. Um, and for basically all of my devices, I will have some version of either, um, Ubuntu with like a lightweight desktop or Debian, you know, lightweight desktop on them, depending on the, like the processing power of, you know, tough pad or tough book or something like that. But yeah, I've just found it easier personally to just install, install the software myself. Um, it can, if you want kind of like a plethora of stuff, I'd imagine it might be easier to start off with something that has everything pre-installed. Um, I don't remember if DSD Plus has a version that runs on Linux, but there, there's definitely a couple of other tools. Uh, the big one, uh, <laughs> this is if you really want to get into the weeds with software-defined radio, um, but is GNU Radio, which is basically a digital digital signal processing software that's used, you know, everywhere from the hobbyist level to, you know, there's plenty of companies that use it to. Uh, basically prototype software-defined radio and digital processing tools before they implement them with hardware. Um, definitely not something I'd recommend to, like, you know, just your average SDR goer who wants it capability. But if you really want to learn more about software-defined radio and digital processing, 
that's definitely a way to go. And there's also something called, uh, what is it? Universal Radio Hacker, which is available on Linux. And I'm still, that's been a, that's been a project I've meant to get up and up and running on my Linux machine for a little while. But that actually can do a lot of cool stuff. And there's been a lot of people who have used that for some independent security testing. I believe there's people who have, oh, made, what are they made? I think some people have actually made either a plugin or done something with that to where they could basically on the fly break some of the lower security encryption protocols that P25 uses and basically get the key, uh, crack it, and then start demodulating and unencrypting that radio traffic on the fly, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I've mentioned playing around with okay. some of that stuff. I think that's the push I, I might have needed. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, you're talking about like nudging those people. I've um I I run Windows 10. Uh, I just recently got a new uh, SSD for my FCM one, and I loaded it. Uh, I loaded up with a uh, Windows 10 Enterprise, and um and it's just because I that's what I know. I've been using Windows my whole life. I haven't really been uh, super engaged on like the tech side of things until. Like, like fairly recently, like getting into all the radio stuff, programming radios, and then very quickly realized with SDR, I was like, uh, I'm going to have to learn how to do all the computer stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, and Tito, you should... But that, no, that sounds awesome. Tito, you should check out... What was that? Tito, you should check out Linux Mint. It's probably the easiest distro out there to learn. And I think that's what Sigint uh, was telling me to try out. Um, I, I have downloaded i just haven't uh like i got the files and everything uh for like ubuntu and, and linux and stuff but i haven't uh i guess i should try loading up a, a, a drive with it i got an extra 128 bit um drive for an fcm1 that i can put whatever the heck i want on and uh yeah, yeah. linux linux mint is a is a good starter option um yeah i'd rather i'd, I'd recommend either linux mint or ubuntu um and yeah, a lot of people will start off learning on a Raspberry Pi, which is a great way specifically with some of the newer ones. They have a lot more computing power. If you do want to try it on like, you know, laptop or desktop or something like that, what I would recommend just get a separate hard drive and just load, you know, either, um, you know, remove your Windows hard drive or, or something like that. Don't, I used to have like a dual boot laptop that um that i use like windows and linux on i think i still have the hard drive that has that loaded on it laying around somewhere but you can definitely do it but it just becomes a mess after a while just dealing with the partitions managing your hard drive managing the space um and so yeah if, if you really want just like a, a good you know linux experience if you have a laptop laying around or if you just want to dive in you know just get a new hard drive install mint or ubuntu on it they've made the install process super easy and then you know just like daily drive it for a little while and i feel like that that really is the the best way to um to learn it you know there's gui like gui programs for a bunch of stuff but if you can you know if you want to if you want to learn to use the terminal it can definitely be be daunting at first um but yeah just try to you know if you have the option of one or the two just try using the terminal start messing around with like oh okay i'm in this directory how can i you know, move to this other directory. Can I create a new directory? Can I copy files and stuff like that? And you'll get, I think you'll get comfortable with it fairly quickly. 
Yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, in my FCM1, I just bought a new uh, 500 gig um, SSD for it, and that's what I loaded uh, Windows 10 uh, Enterprise onto, and I took the SSD that was uh, in it out, which is just a, a, I think it's the Samsung 128 uh, gig uh, SSD, which is just sitting in a in a drawer now, which is like what I was saying. I could load whatever OS onto that SSD, uh, and then if for the FCM1, swapping the SSD is, uh, I'm sure, is, you know, it's, it's super simple. It's a few screws pop out, throw a new one in, and, and you're up and running. You could even get an external SSD driver if you wanted to and, and plug that in through uh, USB or whatever. But um, yeah, no, that's something I got to mess with. That sounds super interesting, and I should probably just go ahead and do it. So I got a, I got a question for you. Uh, I know you like to go out in the field. You like All to right. go out and shoot. You got uh, your little uh, RTL SDR attachment. Um, what are you doing? Uh, how how many radios are you taking out in the field with you? Let's start with that. Um, I mean, obviously, it honestly depends on you know what I'm doing, and also one of the things that I will say about you know if you see like pictures of my kit in some areas. Oftentimes, I will actually like gear my kit around like development and testing as as far as like the actual like radios and hardware and software and implementations go. Um, and sometimes I'll gear it around, yeah, more of a testing scenario than really like actual field use. But yeah, in all honesty, it really depends. Sometimes I will just have you know a single handheld radio. I'll have a single one of my P twenty five radios that I'll throw in my pocket usually. As um, if I'm driving around, I'll have one of my 7800 radios just on and listening to the police traffic, which is um, very interesting in the case where you hypothetically may or may not get pulled over. Um, you know, that's that's kind of an interesting thing to have going then. But yeah, it, it really depends. Usually, my usual loadout will be um, a P25 radio. So usually I'll have my VP600 I'll have the SDR stick. I might have just like a spare RTL SDR laying around somewhere in my kit just because they're so small and you can just basically throw them anywhere. And then occasionally, depending on what I'm doing, I might have uh, one of the Maxon DMR radios, which I haven't messed around with in a little while. I might, I might have an analog VHF UHF one. Usually that'll be like the Yesu, or I might have the 7800 megahertz radio if I want to use that. More of like a, you know, so to speak, dedicated scanner, and also working on getting those set up as a more of an intra intra team, uh, kind of like squad slash handout radio. All all legally, of course. All right, right. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. All com- all completely legal. Yeah, I think you know one of the cool things about looking at what you've done with some of your uh, field exercises and uh, your kit. You know, you've kind of made radio your primary tool, and then your um, you know, as far as it, from a training and defense perspective goes, your rifle and your sidearm are your, you know, defense mechanisms. You're, they're not your primary purpose for going out, which, you know, I very much appreciate. I think that a lot of people in the tactical space want to go out and just uh, run and gun all day, but there's way more to it when it comes to defending our freedoms and exploring the self-defense world. So that's a good thing. But I like that you have... uh your front pouch, you're able to access your, um, are you using a tablet or you I know you have a, an Android phone. Yeah, it, it kind of depends. Um, sometimes I'll use, the um, the tough pad. Other times I'll, I'll use my phone. That's, <laughs> that's another interesting discussion. Like, you know, 
when and you know when not you should bring a, a phone into the field and you know unfortunately Androids do have a lot of functionality everyone has them it also is you know the perfect government surveillance device but i st i st even even with all that i still do think there is a place for phones in the field for a lot of use cases because honestly if you think about it you know if if for some reason you you are going up against some sort of state actor or are are potentially doing something where you don't want someone or you know some organization with that level of uh, control to be able to do what you're doing obviously don't take your phone into the field other than that specifically for um you know community assistance scenarios and stuff like that they can be extremely useful tools you know both as a um you know primary or secondary communication medium obviously not to rely on it but they definitely can be very useful if communications infrastructure is still up and even if it isn't most likely gps infrastructure will still be up and you can use that to coordinate community help efforts and stuff like that so i, I do think that they are still a very useful tool and since everyone has them they're they're a good stepping stone to get people more into the communication space because it's you know it's easier to download rf analyzer get an otg cable and you know plug your rtlsdr in than it is to you know buy a tough pad set up all the software there and do that you know and even though that's maybe the area that people should start going into specifically for more security sensitive stuff you know phones do still have a place but yeah i'll usually i'll usually still run my phone in the in the front pouch on the on the which uh will be coming out uh trade trademark soon quote unquote right <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah have you figured out how to uh effectively air gap a cheap android phone yet um no that's not really something that i've messed around with i know that some people have done that a little bit and i i think that there are actually some phones where you can take some of the wireless hardware out but it's just one of those things where it's so difficult to have you know low low level control and access to it and i would personally have a, a very hard time trusting it um even if you were to do something like take all of the radios out put it into you know an rf chamber and test you know the full spectrum and see if there's any emissions coming out even in that case i would have a hard time trusting it because you know maybe there's some control signal that can be sent to it and then you know it ends up transmitting there's there's a lot of like really low level crazy stuff that can be done but you know once again that kind of goes into what is your what is your threat level because most of that stuff like most of that would be like exploited by state actors so you know if you're just kind of worried about just the rf emissions of your phone and maybe um you know you're maybe worried about like the local telecom provider or whatever i don't know you know do do a little bit of research. See if you can remove all the radios from the phone, um, and then yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of an up to you decision whether you want to trust that or not. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. You know, I've heard people say, "Well, just put it on airplane mode." It's like, no, no, <laughs> yeah, don't trust that one bit. <laughs> I don't trust. Yeah, that. I I would say I would say airplane mode is the equivalent to an FBI agent standing in the room that you're in, and then you ask the FBI agent to not listen to the confidential <laughs> conversation that you're about to have, and he nods his head and says yes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly 
exactly right right yeah for sure no but back to your kit you know i I love some of your configuration it's very simplistic and you know uh for our training you know one of the things i do i'm I'm kind of our radio guy for our little group here but um i'll take two radios into the field with me uh one for talking to a command element one for talking to the guys in the field uh and then i've very much begun to integrate an SDR into my kit, my everyday kit. I haven't got to play around with it much, believe it or not. I need to. I'd like to. But I really want to design some drills where, you know, I can go out and demonstrate, hey, look, I got this SDR. Now let's let's do a couple of radio drills. Let's uh, search for and identify a target frequency out there. Then let's use the same SDR, uh, switch to a Yagi antenna, and go direction find it. And then, you know... Let's go use our land nav skills. Let's go hump over to it. Let's go see if we can find it. I think it'd be very much a very fun exercise. But you know, when it comes to kit, it's not always efficient, accessible. Yeah, that's yeah. and that's definitely one of the things with with software defined radius, right? You know, talking about trade offs is that you do have to have that you know extra computing power and you know extra batteries and stuff as well. And it can definitely kind of become a depending on how into the weeds you want to get, it can definitely become a mess of cables. You know, if you're trying to set up something like a raspberry Pi into your rig, you know, you got to have a battery and then you got to have a cable going to that and make sure that the, that the power supply is stable enough. And then you have all your other cables going to all your other hardware. (laughs) So it can, it can definitely be a little bit cumbersome, but at the same time, I think it's, it's cool to mess around with that and really see like, you know, like you were saying, go out into the field and, see for yourself what are the capabilities and um you know if they're if they are worth it for you and i think as as electronic warfare progresses i think the people who are willing to tinker around and willing to do that stuff and you know will are willing to at first carry around a mess of cables before they have you know a dedicated solution they're going to be the ones that um are ahead and i think that's one of the coolest things to see in this space as we kind of have a you know both not just from the civilian perspective which is obviously where i'm coming from uh, you know to, to the listeners if, if anyone doesn't know no i wasn't i wasn't in the military full-time civilian um but to see people coming from the military side as well and people coming you know who have specialties from the civilian side and kind of coming and integrating their knowledge together because even as we see like in the in the conflict and war in ukraine one of the biggest threats there is, you know, this commercial off-the-shelf technology. And, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's like modern COTS technology versus, you know, perhaps slightly older and maybe a, a little bit archaic, but still, you know, full-scale conventional military technology and kind of the, the back and forth between that. And I'm sure we'll see um, a lot more documentation on that after, you know, hopefully at some point the, you know, that that war ends but yeah it'll be really interesting to see you know as more and more stories come out how that kind of stuff was used but yeah like on the on the military side there's tons of people who are you know looking at like okay cool we you know we have our military tools but what can we do with all this commercial off-the-shelf technology both from a standpoint of um, you know what what my our, our adversaries have but also from a standpoint of okay we need this capability. Maybe it doesn't necessarily exist yet. How fast can we get something together and get that working? Um, and there's, you know, some of the guys that do that stuff like Mark three research, 
um, and Sentinel Society. There, there's a few guys behind, um, you know, those kind of like those two teams that have done some like phenomenal stuff in that area. And uh, oh, what's oh, what's what's the other guy? Uh, oh yeah, Chris Christopher Rance Ranch Chris Christopher Rant, yeah. Rance, uh, who's put together yeah, who's put together like the Light Fighter Manifesto. And I, you know, I just think that like, that is so cool to see that people who have experience from the military side coming together, um, you know, teaching and also learning from people on the civilian side and just recognizing, you know, to, you know, like a well-armed populace is, you know, extremely critical to the defense of a nation, right. From threats, both foreign and domestic. And, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's cool to like, see um you know see that camaraderie and see the conversations that are happening happening back and forth in that area yeah i i agree uh, me too it, it is an awesome thing to see yeah yeah it's 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 funny to see all the hood rat shit the prussians and the ukrainians are doing against each other like y'all have all this <laughs> developed technology and all this expensive hardware and armor and you guys are using cheap dji drone we, we talked a lot about it with uh, communications workspace, but uh, some of the servo motors they're using and, and figuring out how to drop munitions. And then, you know, seeing the air-to-air drone fights, like, who who would have yeah. thought that that stuff would have happened in a modern warfare? Here we are. Right. And, you know, you know, a little bit of out-of-the-box thinking and with access to some of this stuff is what you get. Who knows what what else they're going to come up with. So it's it's kind of exciting. I mean, it's it's too bad that there's people dying in conflict, and usually it's at the hands of two regimes that are facing off against each other for no reason at all, and people who are dying or losing their lives or have no interest in the fight whatsoever, no benefit from it. But regardless, to see how technology can be developed in spite of it is really kind of fascinating, uh, if you ask me. So I'll keep watching it and learning from it and seeing how i can adapt it to my everyday life and right all that good stuff but i wanted to get at the as far as kit goes the uh so tito and i have been talking to project redacted we kind of came up with a little collaborative effort called the sentinel pouch i don't know did you see that out there um i don't think i have project redacted is uh making some very cool very simple and effective pouches for for kit and Kind of tossed him uh, the idea one day. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, you know what would be really cool is if we had like a general purpose pouch. It's a little bit larger, but it had two elastic sleeves in it, kind of like placards do. But so you could use them for one radio or two radios, or if you're not using radios in it, you just stick magazines in it, or you just use it as a general purpose pouch. The, the cool thing about it is, you know, it, it's multi-purpose. Uh, I'm hoping that I can stick my HF radio in there." And go hump around with it on my kit. I got to figure out the power supply if I do that. But your HF yeah. G90 G90s aren't that big. No, I guess it's not. I remember. Um, I think it was like the tactical bow thing. Um, was messaging me one day and was asking me for like measurements on a Spiritus Mutant pouch because <laughs> he was wondering if uh, if a G90 would. I think it was him uh, wondering if if a G90 would fit in the main like pouch of a, of a Spiritus Mutant, which which I uh, which. I don't know if he ever tried. I'd have to ask. Here, I got my I got my G90 right here. Let's measure it. Let's see what we're coming out to. So, oh well, he he gave me the measurements of the of the G90, and then he was asking me to measure the main compartment. 
apartment on a on a mutant pouch and uh he was like this might just work <laughs> so an uh, ef johnson radio it looks like it's two and three eighths inches wide the g90 is four and 13 sixteenths wide i think it'll work man if if this thing will fit two motorolas or two F ef johnson's it should be able to fit my g90 no that's awesome I'm i'm pretty stoked on that collaboration and um uh hopefully uh more comes uh more comes out of it i have an idea for a, a pretty cool pouch too that um vlad i i was actually going to message you about it but we're still very early in the talkings but uh i kind of want to work on possibly developing a pouch that might accommodate the sdr stick um and also maybe like an eud uh all-in-one kind of deal with uh with the ability to like route cables and, and stuff like that and um to see where that can go but i need to get an sdr stick first yeah man that'd be that'd be awesome to see vlad are you an hf at all have you experimented no that's that's actually that's actually one of the areas that um (laughs) i i think from you know from what i've read and learned that i think is a very important capability but yeah i have i have personally not delved into that realm at all I'd, I'd definitely like to as I get a little bit more time in the future, but I think, you know, at, at the moment, both personally and, you know, from a, from a business perspective, we're, we're a bit more focused on, you know, kind of like my, like VHF, UHF and up, you know, kind of into some more advanced like microwave and mesh technologies and stuff like that. So I, I'll definitely have to get into HF at some point and maybe do a little bit of content on that, but yeah. Not something I've fully delved into yet. Man, you know one of the coolest things about comms chat on Instagram? I don't know if you're in the all comms chat. There's a there's a whole bunch of people in there. Uh, a lot of them are a little bit more on the ham radio side of things. But so many people have been so helpful with HF. And going out and setting up these HF nets and making contact all over the country. We just had Wyoming Survival get in touch with tactical comms on five watts. Oh, wow. I just nice. Gotten, I just gotten uh wyoming survival and i just did a uh a contact on jsa call five watts using the true sdx each way florida to wyoming dude that's, that's the stuff awesome. that's like super exciting and super encouraging and and i love that we have a community that we can you know none of us have really ever met face to face so we can get together online talk about this stuff we all share the same passions for this topic and then get out there and do it and make contact that's so cool ask me yeah i, yeah, I think the the capability that hf provides is you know basically with with nothing else but you know a rate you know a radio on one end and then a radio on the other end you can talk you know hundreds and thousands of miles you know basically all the way around the world you know i like the yeah sure of course it's like it's a low data rate and low bandwidth but what what that provides and i and the options it's, you know, and even even talking across, you know, across counties or across your state is is something that I, I definitely would like to see more people get into. And I think I would like to get into an experiment with a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really rewarding um, so far. Like, I, I'm really fresh into it. I just built some resonant antennas. Uh, I mean, like bottom of the barrel, like lowest you can go uh, as far as like, like you know, I. I just some uh, dual post DNC adapters, some 20 gauge uh, wire, and some uh, some insulators that I made 
for, for the end of the wire to terminate a to terminate into an insulator or something that's not conductive where i literally just took some plastic forks cut the handles off and uh drilled a couple holes in them to stick the wire through and feed it back on itself in some electrical tape and uh i i've achieved like basically perfect resonance like SWRs of 1.1 to 1 uh, oh, wow. at my targeted frequencies and uh you really need that especially for like doing like, five watts or something like a, like a qrp radio something that's very low power you need to really make sure that all that power is getting out of the antenna and, and nothing's coming back into your radio um so it's also cool because there's, there's ways of just using a couple of zip ties that are snugged up on the wire i can use that to um really quickly if i need to change my resonant frequency i can go to the ends of my wire pull my trucker's hitches knots to let up some tension i can either let some wire out or pull some wire through to change the electrical length of my antenna pretty much and, and uh, tune in frequencies that way uh, in, a feed, in a field expedient manner. And I mean, the even my 80 meter antenna, that's 124 feet of wire, uh, it costed me about like with the wire adapter, probably like $8 to build. Oh wow! Yeah, that's that's one of the. It's it's fun when you get so, into making antennas. I've made some antennas for VHF, UHF. You know, done some ground planes, dipole. Uh, I attempted to make it a J pole, and I don't understand how how the ground on it works. So I'm gonna I'm not gonna talk about that. But uh, doing uh, dipole stuff yeah. for HF, that's gonna be fun. I'm excited to get into it and really hit it hard. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's really rewarding. It's a lot. It's it's a lot different. It's a lot more nuanced than uh, you know throwing a handheld antenna in the pouch on a chest rig and uh, hooking that up to um, you know a headset and then talking to your buddies on the range and stuff like yeah that's cool and it's in regard and it really has its place. Uh, but I, at least when I when I first made that contact with Wyoming survival, eighteen hundred miles away on a five watt radio, uh, I was just like, I have done it. I. <laughs> I was like, I am an RTO. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's definitely a reason that the military still uses it, you know, with all all of their enormous, you know, extremely fancy networking and stuff, like HF still has a major, major role to play. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't think HF is going anywhere. No, for for sure not. Although like, you know, one thing and kind of kind of the reason that, you know, I'm I'm more focused on like microwave band stuff over HF is a, you know, HF is definitely extremely important because of the simplicity and the ability, you know, without any other infrastructure to get information across from, you know, one point to another with of course the obvious downside being, you know, one of, one of them being kind of like a, a technical downside. You have to, there, there is a lot that you have to learn at least relatively speaking, um, but then the other one being, of course, data rate, right? And of course, you you can send some, you know, low data emails and stuff like that. And HF data is, is also another interesting topic. Um, but the thing that I'm definitely working towards more and, you know, with, with terminal armament and just different stuff in the future is, you know, building the ability to, you know, not just communicate from one person to another, but the ability to actually be able to build out infrastructure that, you know, 
you own yourself basically that is reliable because while I think things like HF are important specifically for those, I guess you would say emergency communications where you need to contact, you know, a long ways away, you know, with only, you know, without relying on any sort of communication, I think having, um, both from a, from a tactical setting and also, you know, this is going a, a, a lot deeper into it, but just from a, a broader freedom and, and privacy perspective, I think, you know, the, the amount of information that we will need to transmit, you know, for our day-to-day lives to basically function, like that's not going down anytime soon. It's only going to, you know, keep getting higher and higher. And the, the data rate demands are only going to, you know, keep getting higher as, as technology progresses. And so, you know, I, I think that that's one of the things, at least for me, that I'm trying to pursue in the future is actually making, you know, making that kind of infrastructure more accessible to people and, you know, giving people the option to, you know, have modern communication and modern technology in their hands that, you know, they control that actually helps them protect their freedom and their privacy instead of taking away from it. That's awesome, man. I mean, because it's radio, it's like, how do you, how do you restrict radio other than just jamming the shit out of it? I mean, you really can't. The only other way to do it is to restrict access to hardware. Someone's got a radio. You can't restrict access to radio. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to outlaw circuit boards, resistors, and, and no, people will and, find a way. And uh, soldering. People iron. will find a way. <laughs> you know, no, I think that's, I think, uh, you know, what Vlad's talking about with the, that infrastructure for uh, that other air those other areas of radio and everything like he said um i totally agree uh we definitely uh, gotten to the point in like uh you know that quote like digital age where uh you know we're so used to just like like super quick like we can stream 4k video onto our phones our laptops and our tvs uh you know basically seamlessly uh, most of the time as long as your wi-fi or internet ISP, everything's like working. Uh, I think what makes like a good RTO uh, overall, like a well-rounded RTO is being able to operate and know how to operate and having the equipment operate in as much of the RF spectrum as physically possible, all the way from HF through microwave. Um, You should at least have some kind of understanding uh, of how all of that works and the hardware that goes into using it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I I think that that is like, right as as people are trying to get into into radios, right? That's 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 one of the questions that gets brought up a lot, right? Along the lines of, right? Oh, what you know, what radio should I buy? But even just people, you know, like what is what is your purpose of you know communications, right? And if people are really trying to become and you know an RTO essentially for their group, which I you know I I think it depending on the size of the group and, you know, what your threat level is and, you know, what you're trying to prepare for that, that role of RTO is definitely going to, um, differ, you know, depending on what exactly you want to accomplish. But yeah, just having that, um, that fundamental knowledge and the ability to tinker with stuff and just make things work, right. You know, get that, get that signal through and, you know, make, make it secure and be able to, you know, fulfill the communication requirements of, of your mission with whatever hardware you have available. And I think that's, you know, that's really the thing that makes an RTO, right? Being able to 
use HF, being able to use VHF and UHF, being able to, you know, use SATCOM and more advanced networking methods. Um, you know, even, even stuff like, uh, oh man, uh, my, my mind just went to not landlines, but, um, oh man. Oh yeah. Like field telephones and stuff, you know, hardwired phones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then that's, you know, that's, that's surprisingly something that we've, you know, Ukraine seen kind of come back, you know, since, since on the Russian side, they've had direction finding equipment and they've basically been eliminating, you know, entire grid squares, you know, if they, if they see one signal that they don't recognize pop up, right? So what do we do? Here we go. We got these trenches. Well, we can just run wires and run field telephones, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, I, th I think that's really, you know, from, from that aspect, like the mark of a RTO. And I, you know, I'll, I'll say even further, because um, it's obviously when we, when we talk about using technology in, you know, for the, let's say, prepared civilian, oftentimes we will go to radio for, you know, communication. That's usually where people kind of start off with and maybe they they dive into software-defined radios for signals intelligence and some and some other stuff. But I think, you know, we'll we'll just we'll just call it the role of an RT. But I think the ability to have someone on your team who has at least some understanding of technology and knows how to use it well and how to apply it because yeah, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, right? What is the role of technology for the prepared civilian? And honestly, I think it is one of the greatest force multipliers that we have ever seen. And I think people are just starting to, you know, really realize that, right? Rifles came around and they, right, made man equal and the, you know, the ability for, in certain self-defense stories that we've seen for, you know, a pregnant mother with a rifle to be able to defend herself against, you know, two or three fully grown men in, in a situation where, you know, normally there would be, there would be no chance, but that, you know, that equipment was able to equalize and give her a, a huge advantage in, you know, protecting herself and protecting her family. And I think specifically as the world becomes more digital, technology is going to have and is going to play a huge role in that and is going to be you know a huge force multiplier and not just not just in of course a, a tactical scenario but even in the realm of preserving our other freedoms and i think it's either going to be one of those things that we can use to help preserve our freedoms or it's going to be something that is going to be used to strip us of our freedoms and you know i feel a lot of people in the gun world and maybe the, the firearms industry who will sometimes shy away from technology because of, you know, all of the infringement and all of the lack of privacy that, you know, the, the tech space kind of comes with. But in all honesty, you know, I would, I would encourage people to become more comfortable with it because unless you want to, you know, run off into a cabin in the woods for the rest of your life, and for the rest of your children's and your grandchildren's lives as well, you know, the, the world is going to keep progressing. And I think that there is still things that we can do to try to have a, a positive impact, you know, not just on society, whatever that might be, but on the, on the individual freedoms of people. And I think technology in general is a huge tool for that. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, yeah. 100%.
Speaking of technology being the future, what does the future of terminal armament look like for you? You know, that is that is a very very good question. Um, yeah, there's there there's there's definitely a a lot of things, a lot of like potential options that you know I have to explore with the business. You know, from from a, a variety of of aspects, and I think like right now it's. You know, it's it's a really interesting kind of like, I don't know, I guess you could say pivotal, pivotal decision point in what I want to do with the company, both in terms of, you know, what I want to do within, you know, within the tactical industry and with this company now. And also, you know, what, you know, what role does terminal armament in, you know, whatever way, shape, what, what role does that play in kind of the bigger picture in some of the, um, other things that I would like to accomplish, you know, in my life and in the future and right. Like how, how does that play in to all of that? So, you know, like I, I wish I had like a really, a really nice solid answer, but I don't know. I, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely going to be awesome. You know, what, what, one way or another, depending on, you know, which, which direction I decide to go with it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure at the moment. Hey, I think it's safe to say that you're along for the ride and you're still figuring it out and feeling your way through it. There's nothing wrong with that. Like the old joke goes, you want to know how to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, ab- absolutely. And that, you know, that's kind of one of the other things. Um even even just with, you know, with starting this company and, you know, how how everything just aligned and kind of fit together um when when i was starting with and just you know with no with no other way to say you know miracles that that happened to basically be able to get you know into the place that i am now i i do genuinely believe that you know god has a plan for you know may you know maybe it's this company maybe it's something different but i think there is something specific that you know, that he wants me to, that he wants me to do, um, you know, and I, I like to think that there is, there is genuine, you know, there's genuine good that can be, you know, that can be brought to people. And, you know, there's, there's genuine progress that can be made, you know, obviously helping people out and, um, you know, improving their quality of life, whether it be, on you know something as large scales on a day-to-day level or even giving them the the tools that they need in a you know in some sort of self-defense scenario or to improve their freedom but you know even just furthering god's kingdom and you know of course being able to use use the opportunity and use the you know use the use the reach that i've been given to you know tell other people because i would i would definitely not be in in this place without you know without miracles that god has worked in my life amen brother i hear that uh let's say the same thing you know i think that's a big driving force behind why a lot of people get into the tactical space and you know we've talked about in previous podcasts that radio is a tool uh it's not the end all be all but Mm -hmm. you know a lot of this has to do with if you just look around look at the landscape look at the news look at culture look at society there there is deception corruption and evil and it's run amok and it seems to be getting worse at the moment 
that is a motivator for good as well. You know, that's going to inspire people to take measures to protect themselves and protect the helpless and protect their families and uh, try to create a safer place for to to fight off and ward off evil. And that's yeah. really what all of this is for anyway, as far as I'm concerned, you know. And, you know, I I think one of the things that I, you know, I, I try to do and I definitely want to strive to do more in my, you know, both my personal content and content for the business is, I guess, like, I, I would say that I have, you know, a, a bit of a different mindset than, than at least a lot of different people in this space that I've seen. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people have a very nihilistic and, you know, very, at least very pessimistic view of, you know, the world and the future of events and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not that it's not grounded in reality. I would say that, you know, if you look at history and, you know, you look at, you look at the trends of just things that are happening in the world and things that have happened in the past, you know, at, at some point it is most likely inevitable that there will be, you know, some bad thing that happens to, you know, to or around you or your children or your grandchildren, right? Um, at, at what scale that is, you know, I, I genuinely don't know. But I think that leads a lot of people to, you know, really have, <clears throat> right, what, I guess what we'd call like a, a doomer world of the view. And while I do think it's, it's important to be realistic and be prepared, I think that, you know, sp- specifically from, you know, from a Christian standpoint, but even just in general, like spreading, spreading hope to people and giving people a, a hope for, you know, humanity and the future of humanity is just incredibly important because that's like that's one of the things that is so lacking in our world today and i think that's one of the things that leads to you know some of these atrocities that we see is that you know people just don't have any more hope for the future you know they think humanity is lost they think all this stuff and you know i i really genuinely admire people that right provide hope to humanity at a large scale, you know, whether, you know, whether it's small content creators that, you know, make good stuff or, you know, even, even you look at people like Elon Musk and sure, you know, some of the things he's done, people can argue about that. But I think one of the things he's done specifically with, with space travel, right. And reigniting, you know, people's desire to, oh, Hey, you know, there, there is a new frontier. There is something new to explore. You know, I think that is just, so so valuable for um for the world today and i you know that's that's really the perspective that i tried to come at um uh come at things you know with 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 a lot of this stuff is yes be prepared um yes have a plan for you and your family and all this stuff but don't just don't don't have your plan just be to run off and live in a cabin in the woods by yourself because you know even if you survive right like how are your, you know, what's that going to look like for your children? What's that going to look like for your grandchildren? You know, and I, I think there's genuinely a good that every single individual can do at the very least for, you know, their community at whatever scale, you know, and even if you do something just for yourself or for your family or for your local community, you know, and all of, all of that, all of those little things will end up scaling up towards, you know, cities towards you know states and eventually towards towards countries and nations as well and i think that's that that's the outlook that at least i would like a lot more people to have 
I can agree with that. I can definitely agree with that. It's it's not about just us. It's about everybody else in our society. So, you know, having kids, I want to make sure that uh, there's something worth living for for them. It's an easily forgotten thing in our society these days, unfortunately. Well, good on you, man. I'm glad you're uh, yeah. doing what you're doing and you have the perspective that you have and fighting the good fight at such a young age. That's encouraging. Uh, and thanks, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Been a been a very good talk and yeah, uh, excited to get the feedback for this one and get the word out. So, uh, and we are looking forward yeah, to uh, the SDR SDK man. Bring them on, man. Get them out there. We'll yeah. do, man. Thanks for having me on. Sounds like we're wrapping things up. Where can um, tell everyone where uh, where they can find you uh, um, about the website? Um, give give everyone a quick uh, rundown on where Terminal Armament and where lies that. Yeah, you can you know you can find the business on Instagram. It's just at Terminal Armament. Uh, I have a personal account on Instagram as well. You can find us on Twitter as well. Personal account is just Vlad Say, just my full name. Um, there, we do have a YouTube channel. Haven't posted a lot there, but definitely have some stuff planned for the future on YouTube. If uh, one of the things, if you're looking for a place to kind of connect and get together with like-minded people. I would definitely recommend checking out Grayman Network. Uh, you can go to their website. It's grayman.network, or you can look them up on Instagram. Basically, it's a um, it's a matrix server. If you haven't heard of that, it's very similar to Discord, except for they actually host all of their stuff on their own um, physical servers that they own. And it's just a uh, private, um, just a private communications platform that's similar to Discord. You can have rooms and channels. A lot of cool people on there. I don't go often. I don't go on there too often nowadays. Um, but Terminal Armament has a space there. Uh, T Rex Arms is on there as well, I believe. JK Armament, Redbeard Tactical. There is yeah. There's a bunch of cool people there, and they're doing some um, some really cool stuff. There's some good comms discussions on there as well for basically any level of communications. Oh yeah, I concur. I'm I'm on the Gray Man Network. Well, good talk, gentlemen. Dad. Thanks for coming on again. Yeah, Appreciate it. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, Tito, always Anytime. good to hear your voice. Uh, good to hear you too, brother. And uh, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us, guys. We will uh, we'll be back soon. Right on. Bye. Later, everyone. See ya. <laughs>